Hi, everybody. This is Love Him, Love Them with Linda Gunner, where we give hope, touch lives, and change hearts. So Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ooh, you're finna hear a story today that is going to be a Psalm 46 story because I got a chick on my side today that is going to tell you're not going to believe her stories. Matter of fact, we probably going to have to edit this out because there are people that if they hear this story, they may kill us or something like that. What's that thing whenever you say, if I, if I tell you I got to kill you? <laughs> She's got stories like that. So stay tuned. Hey, look, first. I want you to make sure you go to our website and get our brand new book, Miracles with Mommy Linda. It is a not only like a for real book book, whatever you call that, but it's also an audio book and a video book. You can literally click on the QR codes and we come up sharing 37 miracles. Did you know there's 37 miracles in the Bible that Jesus, I often wonder how they chose what 37 miracles, Um, because we had trouble choosing our miracles. But uh, also, we have a brand new devotional out. Um, Hopefully, Michael's going to show you that right here. Voila. Uh, That will walk you through 52 weeks. Nothing better than to already know in the morning what you're going to pick up and what you're going to read. So uh, 52 weeks of how to increase your faith and how to place yourself in a position to be prepared for a miracle. So go to the website, find out. Without any further ado, you better... Get your tissues, get ready to crack up because we're fixing to have some fun with one of my best friends in the world. Now, okay, so I don't even know how to introduce her. I'm just going to call her Susan. So Susan, I have you in my phone as Susan Blakely and yes. I have you in my phone as Susan Watson. Oh. So that's that just goes to show we I, I've known you BC like before children. Yes. Right. Remember when we used to have fun times yes. at the day spa? Yeah. Getting tan girl. Care having our facial life. Yes. yes. And so which were you first? You must have been Susan Watson first. I was Susan Watson when you met me. Okay. Susan Watson when I met you. And now you're Susan Blakely, which is my maiden name. Blakely is your maiden name. Yes. What's Kevin's last name? Sickers. Okay. But I've never changed it because I was still working. That cracks me up. So you know what? I think I have him in my phone as Kevin Blakely. <laughs> That's so funny. Don't I just saw him last him week. That. He looks so good. But is he like for real retired? Like, are you old enough to be married to a retired man? That's so weird. Yes, he, he's younger than I am. But he retired at 49. Oh, okay. So he's still a young boy. Yes. He got you a young boy, didn't you, Susan? <laughs> On a blind day. On a blind date. And then y'all, didn't y'all get married like in Vegas? Yes, we did because we couldn't get married because of the girls. They always <laughs> had something in our schedule. For the, That's back to that yeah, kid thing. Four girls always had something going on. So we <laughs> eventually ran off and got married in a chapel. That's in so Vegas. cute. Well, I know. And those pictures are really, really, really cute. So we've known it. Do you remember how we met? Yes, exactly. Okay. I remember the exact day and All right. time. Let's see if it's true. I came. Came into the tanning uh-huh. salon, and you were back behind the desk, uh-huh. and there was someone else back there, but I didn't really pay any attention to Probably them. Christine. Yeah, I don't. I didn't pay any attention to who that was. I know Christine. Okay. And you were talking. You know everybody. And I said to my, I didn't know her until I met you, but uh-huh. I, you were talking, and I said to myself, I like this woman. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. She's like me. I like her. She says what's on her mind. Yes, it was all good. Yeah. And that's the first time. I can still picture you behind that desk. Isn't it funny how um, people that are like that, it's real easy to spot another Mm -hmm. one. It's like, oh, there's another me. Yeah. (laughs) 
better there be careful. I'm going to like her for a little while, but she's going to get on my nerves. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So I have so many things I want to talk to you about. And the time on these things flies by. But you are such an inspiration because of your story. Your story is magnificent. And for you, matter of fact, the fact that you're alive and sitting here is truly a miracle. It's truly a miracle. You should not be here. No. So I really, I mean, normally I just guide people along, but you're so good at telling your story. I want you to share because there are people listening today that are living parts of your story. And they're in the part of your story where there doesn't seem like there's any hope. Whether it's the your childhood, that part of your story, whether it's when you were in Charleston, whew, that part of your story, um, whether it's when the pol- when you're riding down the road with the police, <laughs> that part of your story. So I want you to take liberty and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, not so much to glorify the unbelievable parts of your story, but for people to know, oh my gosh, there's another side. <coughs> Bless me. <clears throat> no problem. So you start where, I mean, I like I know so many parts of your story. I kind of want to tell it myself, but it's not my story. But I and I've heard so many different angles of your story. But I want you to start where you feel comfortable. And it could be as a child. And I want you to bring us to where you are today and how this has completely changed your life. Yes. Well, Hard to know where to start, isn't it? It is. My story is about God changing my life. Right. Because I really didn't do anything until the latter part, except follow directions when I came to from him. But last Monday, this past Monday, I've been sober for 39 years. Oh, my gosh, Susan. 39 years. Yes, Tells my age a little. No, I, you, but I think you're 45. I was, I was 27 when I, as a drug addict and an alcoholic, gave up. Wow. Gave up chasing that first high again. Hmm. But I grew up in a family where my father left us when I was in the third grade. Um, went across town in a very small town like Livonia and had another family. And um, a mother who worked all the time and was so traumatized from everything that she didn't really care what we were doing. Right. And And you took advantage of that. I'm just saying. Go ahead. I did. I did. (sighs) And um, I actually... I actually did really good in that, you know, every day I had the house cleaned for her oh, and wow. I had supper on the table. That was mandatory for from her. But in the seventh grade, I smoked a, my first joint of marijuana in a police car. I remember that story. It just cracks me up. I mean, that crack me up? It's not even funny. It's so ridiculous that it's... That's just crazy. With, but not not just like you didn't steal the police car. You were with the police officer. Yes, the police officer had the mm-hmm. marijuana. Now, back then, none of my friends did drugs. People didn't do drugs. Oh, that's right. All right. So I knew when I did that that night that I was not going to tell a soul 
none of my young friends, no one. Because it wouldn't have been cool then. No. It's cool now, no. but yeah. But I also knew that I couldn't wait to do it again. Mm. I was that sounds all, like a book title. I was already drinking in the seventh grade. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. Already drinking pretty heavily when my good friend's parents went out of town. Um, and by the time I was in high school, I knew that I was a drug addict and an alcoholic because I went to school high and drinking every day, every day. But they didn't really know what it was back then. Hmm. They didn't really, you know, know. And I was smart enough to kind of get my way through it. Yeah. But I kept saying, even though I know that I am, I've got lots of time to, to get straight. Right. Well, a lot of things happened in my life between high school and 27. A lot of terrible things terrible, terrible, unmentionable things that I won't won't even talk about today. Right. But none of that got me straight. None of that scared me straight. Wow. None of that. I was dealing drugs. I was doing drugs on a daily basis. And I was having blackouts from drinking on a daily basis. And one time... When I was using, I was using with a guy I knew who was a friend. We had been using for about three days. Wow. We had an ounce of cocaine we were doing. And he said to me, you know, Susan, <laughs> at one time I got straight and didn't do any more drugs than alcohol. It was some of the best years of my life. That's what you should do. <laughs> I you and I that. said to him. You know, I think I will do that as soon as we finish this bag of cocaine. <laughs> so when we did, I I had been going to counseling. <clears throat> My pediatrician had sent me, who was still a friend of mine, even though I was 27, he was still associated with me. Yeah. And they kept talking to me about my drinking. And I said, you don't understand. I have a problem with alcohol. I mean, with drugs, I don't have a problem with alcohol. Okay. But, you know, if you're drinking and drugging, once you're a pickle, you can never become a cucumber again. I don't get it. That means if you are a drug addict, you can't drink. And oh. if you drink, you can't do drugs because you're just swapping one addiction for the other. Okay, got it. And if you're doing both, you can never do either one of those again okay. because once you're pickled, you can never be a cucumber again. All right, got it. All right. So I ended up in – I had had friends even who would get me in front of the mirror and say to me, Look at yourself. Look at you, Susan. Just look at you. You need to do something. Look at you. Blew it right off. But there's something that changed when Tommy suggested to me. That well, cracks me up. I know. It was just so simple. So simple. And I <laughs> I didn't have any money, so I went to a um, state-funded treatment center in South Carolina and you were supposed to stay for 30 days. I stayed for four and a half months. Wow. 
I because when you do something, you do it right. <laughs> I begged them not to send me home. But what happened is I was detoxing off cocaine and Xanax. They had me in a little room, locked in a room. Huh. I couldn't lay down and sleep because bugs were crawling all over me. For real bugs or hallucinating no, I, bugs? I thought they were bugs. I thought they really? were bed bugs, but there was nothing. It was just my detoxing. Oh, my gosh. When I went in, the doctor said, have you did LSD? Have you did acid? Have you did opium? Have you did this? And I was going, yes, yes, yes. And he said, he finally looked at me and he said, why don't you just tell me what you have you done? Oh, my gosh. And I said, I've did everything on your list. But I was in that room and I always thought I was such a big shot. When I was using, I had everything under control. Right. And I was a mean, mean, vicious drunk and addict. Yeah. I carried a 357 in my purse okay, so and so I would pull it out and use it. No you remind question. me of um, what's the chick on Blind on uh, Blindside, Julia Roberts? <clears throat> when, or that's not, not Julia Roberts. When she walks into the hood and she goes, I'm packing. Yeah, yeah I can see you doing that. In that a heartbeat. was me. Yeah, that was me. And um, I said, well, I said to myself when I'm in that little room detoxing, well, look at you now. Oh, wow. Look at you now. Look where your best thinking's got you. Wow. And all of a sudden, the, this white apparition came into the room. It wasn't in a form. It's just like a white, bright cloud. Yeah. And it's, he said to me, if you do what I say, everything will be okay. Oh, my gosh. Now, when I've told people that before speaking, they say, well, what else did he say? I say, nothing. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Be obedient. He if just, you do what I say, everything will be, okay. will be okay. That's a great book title. And that was it. And that was it. And that did you resolve at that moment? Did you surrender? At, did at you that, say at that? See, Eve, I grew up with a grandmother who was very the most spiritual person I ever knew. And she used to sing me hymnals and rock me and read from her Bible to us. And she was that never, your mom's mom or your dad's? That's mom? my dad's mom. She never said a bad word about another soul. She never complained. And even though I was using all those years, I when I was in the third grade, I was baptized. Okay. And I never stopped reading the Bible and devotions, wow. even when I was using. Yeah. I never stopped believing, but I felt like I had done so many bad things that God was up there with a clipboard and a pen. And every time I did something, he'd go, check, check. Until he was so disappointed with me that though I believed in him, he was fed up with my actions. But that day I realized that he wasn't. Because he sent because that angelic he, being. Because he came. And I haven't told that story. I've told only told that story less than seven times. Yeah, but isn't that amazing that he dis... But he loved you so much that he knew. I mean, and I think I think right now about all the people that are 
that do think they're a big shot, that are on the drugs, that are taking whatever and, and think they have everything under control and do think that's I think that is the way God is projected because, you know, we, we judge him like on a human form. Right. And so when we do that with people here, once they get fed up with us, they don't want to have anything to do. It's like you've you've messed up this so many times. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But yet he did. He went to a supernatural, unbelievable manifestation to be able to get your attention. Because no one wanted anything to do with me. None of my friends, no one wanted anything to do with me. And the thing about drugs and alcohol is as long as you're getting some kind of payoff from it, Hmm. you're still enjoying a high, you're still feeling like a big shot, you think you have one more con left in you because, you know, you con everyone and manipulate everyone around you to keep going. People say alcoholics and drug addicts don't have any willpower. That is the furthest thing from the truth. Hmm. You have to have tremendous willpower to keep going because when you're in that addiction, every time you use, it's like pushing an elevator floor uh, elevator button down to the next floor wow. and when I got straight I was in the basement looking up wow. I there was blood running through my veins but I was not at home wow. I I just huddled uh, my mother drove me to Anderson South Carolina some man picked me up in this old car I didn't even know and drove me to treatment, and the whole time that we were on the way to Florence, South Carolina, I was just huddled in the corner like this. I never said a word. I never looked at him. And I saw him years later, Wow! and he said that when he put me out there and I I started walking towards the front door, he said to himself, that girl will never make it. Because wow. there was nobody at home. Wow. So let's let's talk. So we, we have the angelic being that says, if you'll just do what I tell you to, everything will be all right. This man drops you off at this facility. How do we get from that to where you are today? What happened at that facility? What happened? Well, when they told me, if they, <laughs> I told them in treatment, if you tell me to push a peanut, Across Highway 17 and moving traffic, that's when I'll do. Right, what what happened that you were willing to do that? What because that's, that's what, after I had that experience oh, once detoxing. The, okay, I said I'll do anything you say. Okay, that's so why you, they let me stay for four and a half months because I begged them. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit intervened in your life. Exact at that moment, and and this was not this was a state funded treatment center, so there were wet brains coming in there that they would. You got to tell me what all these words mean. What's a wet brain? A wet brain is someone that has done so many drugs or drank so much alcohol that their brain is just that there's nothing left. Okay. So they would bring people like that in there, and they would literally just use the restroom in the floor before they classified them as having no hope and just sending them to an asylum or something. And you're living amongst that. And I'm cleaning it up. And um, I was down there, and they had this one counselor that nobody wanted because he would just chew you up and spit you out. He made the men cry. 
Well, I begged to be in his group. Wow. I begged. I said, chew me up, spit me out, do whatever you want to me, but just help me. Wow. So when I was getting ready to leave, they said that I needed to move somewhere where I didn't know another soul, where I'd never been to get drugs, which was a small geographical area. Because <laughs> you were pretty connected. Yes, very connected. I was really in the what we called the Dixie Mafia back then. I remember those stories. I know I'm scared for you to share anything about that. Yeah, but we so won't, yeah, we yeah. Won't so share you knew anything, yeah those stories. But there I don't is think such a thing believe. as the Dixie Mafia. Believe right. me. So where did you? Where did you? Well, I know where you chose. You chose. Well, they. I said, well, I don't know where to go, and so they put a map in front of me, and I closed my eyes, and I went like that, and put my finger down, and it landed on Charleston, South Carolina, and I said, never been there. And they said, that's where you need to move. So I, did, I made a decision to move there. I had no money. I still had a car, but no nothing, no possessions, really. I went to the Bank of Tacoa. I sat with a man who was the manager, and this his name was I don't know why he did this. Mr. Ware. I told him I just got a four and a half months of treatment, which should have been a 30-day program, yeah. that I was a terrible drug addict and alcoholic. But I had to get well, but I needed some money to start over. Could I borrow some money? And what banker is going to help you? Mr. And Ware. He, and he let me borrow $2,500 with nothing. Yeah. Not no and car. you're headed to Charleston. And I packed up my car and went to Charleston. Right. And I stayed in a halfway house for a while, which was, oh, boy, run by a bunch of women. And um, they told me one night at an AA meeting, they, they sent me to AA. They said, you have to go to AA every day for the first um, 90 days at least. But really, I, I ended up going for the first 10 years every day. Because I was so scared, I was going to fail. Wow. But they told me one night, they said, you see that lady across the room? And I said, yeah. And they said, that's your new sponsor. And a sponsor in the AA program is your is your spiritual leader. Yeah. And um, I said, okay. And they said, well, you need to ask her to be your sponsor. And I said, okay, I will. I started to walk off. And they said, no, now. So I, I just can't imagine you following so many directions. So I, they made me go ask her at that moment. I didn't know it. I did. And she just celebrated 40 years. She was one year sober. And she's still my sponsor today. Yeah. And I, she used to work at the Navy um, Credit Union in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a huge organization. I didn't do anything, including going to the bathroom without asking her if it was okay and when I could get up. And I would call down there and the operator would go, hold on, Susan. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see what she says. But um, and, you know, I started traveling um, when I was six months sober and all those women at the halfway house, I found out years later, had bets going <laughs> as to whether or not I'd stay sober on the road. Wow. But one lady told me that AA was like AAA and this was before cell phones and to look 
AA up in the yellow pages every time I got to a new location to find the first meeting, go to the first meeting that was closest to me, and then stay plugged in while I was there. And I did that for six years, traveled all over New England and the country. And, and, you know, since I've been sober, um, getting sober and having a spiritual experience— does not mean that life is not difficult. That's right. That's the first line in the road less traveled. Life is difficult. And until I read that, I thought it was just mine. Interesting. I've lost everything I own twice. I've had terrible things happen. But the difference is, is that when you have faith, right, you know that there is nothing in the world that will come out of the wall and eat you up if you have faith. Except if I use again, because that's the deal between God and I and Jesus and I. And it doesn't mean it's all skip-free and happy, but it means that you live life one day at a time. Yeah. That nothing's going to eat you up, no matter what it is, and that you just have faith. And miracles happen in my life all the time, all the time. Miracles happen for everyone. Exactly. But most people don't believe don't in them, it, right. and so they don't have their eyes open. They, they, they miss them. Yeah, I think you've hit on a very important sentence. And I do think you might be exactly right that people think that are try- that are medicating themselves with drugs or alcohol or whatever, that when difficult times happen, that it is only them. And so that's why they think, OK, if I take this, I can get through this. I, I had an experience with a homeless man last week and he said, you know, I do have bugs crawling on me. And so I'm going to drink so that I don't have to deal with that. But I think that if if we got what you're saying, I mean, the Bible says Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because that is what develops your perseverance. Your perseverance develops your character. That's what gives you hope. But somehow Satan has sold us this lie that everybody else's life is amazing. Yours is the only one that's a hot mess. So because yours is a hot mess, you need to take these drugs so that you can cope and deal with it and handle it so that then you can act like the way everybody else is. Right. Yeah. Because basically, you know, God gives us self-will, self-will. And when you're using and making excuses like that and going down those different roads, whatever it be, with any addiction, whether it's spending anything, food, food, anything, your your self-will has run riot. Hmm. You're not asking God to intervene and help you. You're on automatic and you're solving the problem and you can never solve your own problems that's good that's good and so we don't then we're not depending on him right you're not and 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 we think we're in control right and we think we're the big shot yeah and we think we're all that and so our focus is in the wrong place and uh, even people that aren't using don't experience miracles in their life because they don't believe in such a thing because they think i i'm the one that made myself successful I'm the one that earns the big money. I'm the one that ha- that bought the big house. You know, 
all of this. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And so I don't know what nugget you've pulled out of today, <laughs> but the nugget that I want you to realize is this. We do all go through trials. We do all face difficulties. And God has placed people in our lives to be able to love them. You may be the answer to someone's prayer today by coming alongside of them. You may be the person that drives them to the rehab. You may be the person that that helps. I want to encourage you to reach out to us through Love Him, Love Them. I'd love for you to have personal conversations with Susan. She'll come back and encourage us more. But I, I want you to realize that today there is hope. There is a way to change your life. And there and the answer is the miraculous father that we have. And Linda, can I say one more thing? Every time you go through a trial, like losing everything financially, every trial is addiction, divorce, um, death. It's the opportunity to share and empathize with someone else who's going through that. And you just need to think about that. It's the opportunity to share that you really understand what they're going through. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.